This is episode 5 of Karthik Reads. I'm your host, Karthik, and we are reading Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. Next chapter we're reading is called Find All Confidence, Avoid Ego. It opens up with a quote from Colin Powell. It goes like this, Avoid having your ego so close to your position that when your position falls, your ego goes with it. And here in the starting of the chapter, Ryan discusses the importance of confidence and how confidence should arose from experience, not ego. And um, how do you get it is actually through self-awareness and of course, faith. And here, he I really like the way he actually discusses both parts. So he discusses confidence. He also discusses imposter syndrome. And um, so I really like this line. It says, of course, the insecurity in every person exists almost entirely in our heads. People aren't thinking about you. They have their own problems to worry about. I've, I don't know how many times I've read this. I've heard this thing. But this time when I read it, it really hit it hard. And I was like, huh. I actually thought about each of the moment when I was worried about how I looked or what I was saying or how people are going to judge me. But then I realized during that time, did I ever stop for a second and think about other people? If I didn't care about other people, what the other person was wearing or saying, did they care about what I was saying? And I was like, wow, like I spent so much of my mental energy thinking about it and no one even cared about it. And so he says, how do you get the simple confidence? Earned, rational, objective, and skill. Let's, this par- let's read this paragraph. It's from the Civil War. So it goes like, before the Civil War, Grant experienced a long chain of setbacks and financial difficulties. He washed up in St. Louis, selling firewood for a living and up. Uh, a hard fall for a graduate of West Point. An army buddy found him and was aghast. Great God, Grant, what are you doing? He asked. Grant's answer was simple. I am solving the problem of poverty. That's the answer of a confident person, a person at peace even in difficulty. Grant wouldn't have chosen this situation, but he wasn't going to let it affect the sense of let it affect his sense of self. Besides, he was too busy trying to fix it where he could. Why hate himself for working for a living? What was shameful about that? I really liked his grand reply that I'm solving the problem of poverty. If you are giving your 100% towards any problem, that gives you the boost, that gives you the confidence because you're doing what you can and that's all that matters. He knew he just needed to stay the course. He knew. He also knew that losing hope or his school was unlikely to help anything. Let's do this paragraph. Confident people know what matters. They know when to ignore other people's opinions. They don't They don't boast or lie to get ahead and then struggle to deliver. Confidence is the freedom to set your own standards and unshackle yourself from the need to prove yourself. A confident person doesn't fear disagreement and doesn't see change, swapping an incorrect, incorrect opinion for a correct one as an admission of inferiority. That's like really like putting the complex thing in a simple terms but i guess it's really like um, it takes time to actually implement it and you have to understand it let's let's read this one there are going to be setbacks in life even a master or a genius will experience a period of inadequacy when they attempt to learn new skills or explore new domains confidence is what determines whether this will be a source of anguish or an enjoyable challenge if you're miserable every time things are not going your way 
if you cannot enjoy it when things are going your way because you undermine it without with doubts and insecurity, life will be hell. And sure, there is no such thing as full confidence or ever-present confidence. We will waver. We will have doubts. We will find ourselves in new situations of complete uncertainty. But still we want to look inside that chaos and find that kernel of calm confidence. That was what Kennedy did in the Cuban Missile Crisis. He had been in tough situations before, like when his PD boat sank in Pacific and all appeared to be lost. He learned that panic solved nothing. And the sal salvation really came from rash action. He also learned that he could count on himself that he could get through it if he kept his head. Whatever happened, he told himself early in the crisis, no one would write the guns of October by about his handling of it. That was something he could control. So in that, he found confidence. I feel like that's really important. What I really take away from this paragraph is that you need to put yourself in hard situations. If you're not going to put yourself into hard situations, you won't actually understand what you're capable of. And I'll believe me, once you start putting yourself into the hard situations, you'll actually realize from after that, whenever any, whenever the things get harsh or rough, you will actually depend on yourself. You'll trust yourself. You'll internally feel that confidence because you've been in hard situations. And he closes the chapter by saying, don't feed insecurity. Don't feed delusions of grandeur. Both are obstacles to stillness. Be confident you've earned it. Let's move on to the next chapter titled, Let Go. And it opens up with a quote from Bhagavad Gita. It goes like, Work done for reward is much lower than work done in yoga of wisdom. Set thy heart upon thy work, but never on its reward. Work not for the reward, but never cease to do the work. Ah, man, this is like really on top. Like, again, I guess same concept in multiple ways saying, keep your head down and work. Do not overthink. Do not think about the end result. Just put, give your 100%. I guess these are the same things. Like we have been hearing these things for so long, but we need to actually start implementing it. The reason all of the books talk about it is that we, these things are important. These things are only key. There's nothing new. It's the same thing, but you got to start doing it. The purpose of these books, like sometimes people say, oh, these all self-help books or philosophy books are the same. They keep saying the same thing. Well, the reason they keep saying the same thing is because people still, everyone, you guys still haven't, like even me, we haven't implemented it. That's the reason they still keep on saying the same, same things. And let's see what he has in this Let Go chapter. Let's read this. So, We'll get the stillness we need if we focus on the individual step, if we embrace the process and give up chasing. We'll think better if we aren't thinking so hard. Let's read the paragraph with which, with which he closes his chapter. If we aim for the trophy in life, be it recognition or wealth or power, we'll miss the target. If we aim too intensely for the target, as Kenzo warned his students, we will neglect the process and the arc required to hit it. What we should be doing is practicing. What we should be doing is pushing away that willful will. The closer we get to the mastery, the less we care about specific results. The more collaborative and creative we are able to, the less we are, the less we will tolerate ego or insecurity. The more at peace we are, the more productive we can be. And you know how he talks about as Kenzo warned his students. So in this chapter, he talks about an archery teacher, Kenzo. He teaches his students, he never tell them to hit the target. He just tell them to practice the routine, 
how you're pushing the bow back and everything. But he never would actually, even if a student would hit the bullseye, he would just say, go back and practice. If he won't hit, go back and practice. Because what he's trying to say is that the routine, the steps are important. The result doesn't matter. If you get the steps right, you automatically will get the result. But if you keep worrying about the result, you're not going to get the steps right. Boom, there you go. You just messed it up, right? It's... I feel like it's just like letting go. I know it's tough. I mean, like, I'm not going to be one who's just say, oh, no, you just got to not think about the end result and just like do it. It doesn't happen. I haven't, I haven't been able to do it. But see, one thing I know for sure is this is important. We have to let go. We have to stop thinking about the end result and we have to actually focus on the work. It is important. Is it easy? No. So what are we going to do about it? We're never going to do it just because it's not easy. Why not just like start doing it, right? What worse could happen? We're not doing it right now anyways. What worse could happen, right? Now, the next chapter is called On to What's Next. So Ryan, after, so uh, as I said that he divided the book up into three parts, mind, spirit, and so, uh, body. So at the end of each part, he has a chapter on to what's next, where he gives like a little bit of introduction and um, to the next part. And uh, he says here, the mind towards stillness, Lao Tzu said, but is opposed by craving. The craving impulses are our enemies for our stillness of the mind. <clears throat> History teaches us that peace is what provides the opportunity to build. After world wars, after all the bad times, peace comes in. That's when you build stuff. You cannot build when you have all these disturbances going around in your mind. And that's where we end the part one of mind. And we move ahead to part two, spirit. Another amazing quote by Epictetus to start the part, second part, spirit. It goes like, most of us would be seized with fear if our bodies went numb and would do everything possible to avoid it. Yet we take no interest at all in the numbing of our souls. That's really interesting. So... Here's an introduction chapter, The Domain of the Soul, where he talks about the importance of keeping your soul close and sane. And he gives an example of uh, Tiger Woods, how his upbringing affected him in what he did. And uh, let's read this quote. And as any seasoned captain of the seas of life can tell you, what's happening on the surface of the water doesn't matter. It's what go what's going on below that will kill you. And uh, he gives the example of, of, again, Tiger Woods, that even though his successful career as a golfer, his personal life was a mess. I mean, he was struggling so much. And that was the, he, like, he actually, Ryan talks into the detail, the, how his upbringing played a part in it and how he actually, he's, um, his soul got affected by it. And um, that's really, that was really interesting. I did not know about, in that depth about Tiger Woods. And um, let's see what we have else in this chapter for me to talk about. Yeah, okay, let's read this. So, everybody's got a hungry heart. That's true. But how we choose to feed that heart matters. It's what determines the kind of person we end up being, what kind of trouble we'll get into, and whether we'll ever be full, whether we'll ever really be still. That's really interesting that everyone's got impulses if you see a disciplined person it's not that he doesn't like to have fun 
he does but he has a more he has a discipline he has something to actually the ability to say no and we actually need to build that ability because if you just keep going on with every impulse every urge every hunger you're going to end up in bad places that's the truth right and again he talks about tiger woods in depth here he ryan quotes jesus actually for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul that's really interesting and um now again ryan talks about tiger woods that he was cold-blooded and talented but in every other part of life he was weak and fragile bankrupt and unbalanced that stillness existed only on the golf course everywhere else he was at the mercy of his passion and urges uh, after reading this i really understood like from the um third party perspective you would see oh man that's a dream right tiger woods won so many grand slam i'm mean, like won so many so many tournaments he's the best i mean like who won't like like to swap the life but when you read like what's actually going on in his personal life you would i mean like i would not swap <laughs> you know what i mean and uh yeah let's read this so we are incapable of seeing what is essential in the world if we are blind to what's going on within us we cannot be in harmony with anyone or anything if the need for more 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 is gnawing at our insides like a maggot when your life is solely and exclusive exclusively exclusively about yourself it's worse than not fun it's empty and awful tiger woods wasn't just a solitary man he was like so many of us in the modern world an island he might have been famous but he was a stranger to himself and here he quotes marcus aurelius that marcus aurelius would ask himself what am i doing with my soul interrogate yourself to find out what inhabits your so called mind what kind of soul you have now a child's soul an adolescent's a tyrant's soul the soul of a predator or its prey and this is really interesting yeah let's see what we have next you might rule cities cities or great empire but if you are not in control of yourself it's all for not you know like i guess it was um, marcus aurelius could i don't know it is it was from the daily stoic that anyone can be an emperor at any moment you just got to rule yourself show me that you, you you rule yourself and that's it you got the biggest empire you know how it says like the, the, again the cliche saying that you control your mind you control everything that's where it all matters and uh now here he gives like a little bit of introduction of the chapters he's going to cover in the soul part let's read through it first develop a strong moral compass second steer clear of envy and jealousy and harmful desires third come to terms with the painful wounds of childhood fifth practice gratitude and appreciation for the world around them sixth cultivate relationships and live in their lives seventh place belief and control in the hands of something larger than themselves eighth understand that there will never be enough that the unchecked pursuit of more ends only in bankruptcy our soul is where we secure our happiness and unhappiness contentment or emptiness and ultimately determine the extent of our greatness we must maintain a good one and that was a like really nice introduction to the soul part and the first chapter is called choose virtue 
starting off by a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, the essence of greatness is the perception that virtue is enough. And let's see. So let's read this paragraph. No one has less serenity than, than the person who does not know what is right or wrong. No one is more exhausted than the person who, because they lack a moral code, must belabor every decision and consider every temptation. No one feels worse about themselves than the cheater or the liar, even if, often especially if, they are showered with rewards for their cheating and lying. Life is meaningless to the persons who decides their choices have no meaning. That's where Ryan is trying to explain the importance of having a moral code and moral compass because it just like it just easy makes the things easier for you. If you're going to consider every temptation and every possibility, you, you're going to end up in bad places. That's 100%, 100% for sure. I guess I read it somewhere, it was goes like, just because you can, I guess it was Jordan Peterson who said it. Yeah, I guess so. So it goes like, just because you can do something, that does not mean you should do it. And I feel like, how do you make that decision? That decision comes from your moral, like what your moral soul is, right? And it just like helps you to make a clean and a quick decision, not according to my moral compass, I'm not doing it. Irrespective of how good of the reward is, I'm not doing it. Meanwhile, the person who knows what they value, who has a strong sense of decency and principle and behaves accordingly, who possesses easy moral self-command, who leans comfortably upon the goodness day in or day out, this person has found stillness. Okay, let's read this paragraph. The gift of free will is that in this life we can choose to be good or we can choose to be bad. We can choose what standards to hold ourselves and what we will regard as important, honorable and admirable. The choices we make in that regard determine whether we will experience peace or not. So here is a quote by Confucius. He believed that virtue and pleasure were two sides of the same coin. I really liked how he put it. He said, It is impossible to live the pleasant life without also living sensibly, nobly, and justly. And conversely, it's impossible to live a sensibly, nobly, and justly without living pleasantly. A person who does not have a pleasant life is not living sensibly, nobly, and justly. And conversely, the person who does not have these virtues cannot live pleasantly. It's like, you gotta need that. I mean, if you do not have the sense and the moral of the uh, sense and the like a just moral compass, you cannot live pleasantly. You cannot have a happy life. You might have an, a, like a attractive life for other people, but inside you'll feel empty. And people who feel that, they know what it means. What is virtue? Seneca would ask. His answer, true and steadfast judgment. And from virtue comes good decisions, happiness, and peace. It emanates from the soul and directs the mind and the body. So recognition is dependent on other people. Getting rich requires business opportunities. You can be blocked by your goals. You can be blocked from your goals by the weather just as easily you can be by a dictator. But virtue? No one can stop you from knowing what's right. Nothing stands between you and it but yourself. So it's like every, he, what Ryan trying to say is that each of us must cultivate a moral code, a higher standard that we love almost more than our life itself. Each of us must sit down and ask, what's important to me? What would I rather die for than betray? How am I going to live and why? 
I guess these are like really important questions and these are not easy questions to answer. Like, yo, you won't get the answer right away. You actually have to think through how you were brought up and what you think is right. I mean, like you'll feel it. Like when you give a right answer, you will know that this is the right answer. And this is not for the good times. This is actually as, um, I guess I read it, that philosophy is something where it helps you to like be your best in the bad times. Like when you have thought through these answers, whenever you face a tough situation, or even a temptation, you would know your answer because you have a strong moral code. You have actually like got a cheat sheet right ready. And that's what he says. When you develop a moral code, we will be still. And I guess that's where we're going to end our episode five. Thank you all for joining in and um, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care, guys. Stay safe and stay healthy. <laughs>